you're listening to Not Many of You Should Become Teachers, a podcast that explores the world of K-12 education as it intersects with the Christian faith. You might call us extreme moderates. We're skeptics who try not to be cynics and are allergic to cheap rhetoric. Welcome to the show. All right. Welcome to... Another episode here, season three of Not Many of You Should Become Teachers. I am here with Dave McFarland, my co-host, and we have our first guest of the season here. Oh, I shouldn't say that just in case we release Adam's episode first. <laughs> we have a guest this week, and we are thrilled to be joined with another one of our colleagues who uh, joins with us in our, our, our venture and being skeptical and yet not too or at all cynical uh, and uh, also on this faith and learning journey. So, uh, Dave, how would you introduce our guest? Yeah, so this week we have uh, one of my colleagues here in the high school, Alana Banta, and I'll let her introduce herself, but uh, it was fascinating, Alana, walking by your classroom the other day, and I saw something on your door, and then I saw <laughs> what you were drawing and what students had drawn on the whiteboards, uh, and so you and I were drawn into a conversation, so I knew that had to turn into a podcast uh, interview. <laughs> so uh, yeah, who are you? What do you teach? And uh, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I What I teach is a great question because it changes every year, but so far, um, French, English, and media. So I, all of the language stuff, that's my wheelhouse and the things I'm passionate about. And been in the high school for a couple of years now, so it feels I'm still a newbie, but I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And yeah, it was awesome to see you just walk by and... I think you saw the um, principles of indigenous learning or the first people's principles of learning on my door. And that was it was in that French, poster. Right? It was in French. It was an indigenous poster. And just so both of those things caught my eye. Yeah, which is awesome. That was exactly my intention. So it was funny that you saw it. And then when you walked in, you saw Venn diagrams on the board. And it was just this attempt desperate attempt to get <laughs> students to try and interact with English in a real world context. Because I think, yeah, sometimes we throw them poems that are just like, oh, here's another funny one, next. Or here's a book, read it, go home, analyze it, come back. And then it m- loses its real worldness. So that was kind of the goal of setting up the activity. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Alana, it was actually what was on those Venn diagrams. There were some words that were, were on your board. They were in um, student handwriting. Yeah. And I saw, correct me if I'm wrong, you can explain it. Um, words like hope. There was cynicism. That really drew yeah. me in because um, that's one of our uh, our buzzwords around here of not to be cynical. Um, I think naive or naivete was was yeah. a word. Um, these are words we have used in the context of faith and learning and faith formation. Um, so I know it was in English class. Yes. Um, but it, tell us a little bit about what you were doing and why those words were on your board. Yeah, I think students are often thrown off when they come into my English class because they're not sure exactly what class it is, which I love. And so mm-hmm. what we were trying to embark on, I actually chatted with Ron Maitland and we were trying to start off the year with just giving them an understanding that 
our perspective of how we come to situations is so important. And so we started kind of wrestling with what words do these kids know? And we thought they'd be really familiar with words like skepticism and naivety or cynicism because they throw out all the time, oh, you're so skeptical or something like that. But we actually really quickly found they had no idea what that meant, which was super interesting. I was actually kind of shocked. So we started going through and unpacking this naivety and kind of looking at the pros and cons of naivety because often, especially at grade 10 level that I'm teaching, they really like that black and white answer. Naivety is good or it's bad. And I think if in every worldview, there is good stuff and stuff that is challenging. And so we started looking at naivety and what was good about it, what was challenging, and what maybe didn't help us in our faith journeys and in our personal lives. And then from there, we were moving into the question of, is it naive to have hope? In a world like this where so many things are going wrong and there's so much stuff to be sad about or to have our hearts be heavy with, um, can we actually logically think through and come to a place where we can decide that, yeah, there is a reason to be hopeful. Um, And so that's part of what was on the Venn diagram is the students had read an article um, about all of the ways that hope had actually historically shaped our world. Things like the women's rights movement and how those people actually in the beginning likely hoped for something they some did not see in their lifetime but yet it happened. Um, And it was only because they had hope that it happened. Um, So really challenging them to embrace hope as not something that's just naive um, and to kind of broaden their worldview. And then the other word that was on there, I think was bias and looking at the shifting bias idea where the second question coming with, is it naive to hope was, is it naive to trust people and is it naive to actually give people more than one chance? Cause the cynical answer would be no, like everyone sucks or everyone has awful motives and we're going to take that to heart and go, okay, well now I'm not going to be open to new experiences. And so, yeah, just helping them see that they need to come with an attitude of assuming positive intent of every single person that they meet because no one is the same. So my follow-up question would be asking where you're planning on landing this plane of an activity and not to <laughs> to promote a, a form of black and white thinking to land it and say, well, this is how it is. But um, what, like, in what direction are you planning on Uh, Like, what's the bottom line that you're hoping that these students walk away with? So we're right now just ending up the skepticism kind of section of our unit and are heading in, or ending cynicism, sorry, and heading into skepticism. And I think a lot of the times we do encourage our students to ask questions, which is awesome. But I think there's also a point where we ask so many questions that we don't trust. And so looking at that, and then the last kind of end goal will be actually presenting the students with the idea that none of these three worldviews are actually fully encompassing what we are called to be as Christians, which is having the ability to see 
that there is beauty in pain and holding both of those two things, which I think we talk a lot about. And as teachers, right, it, there is good in bad things. There is bad in good things and that tension. So eventually these students will be writing, they don't know it yet, but a, uh, a creative writing piece on uh, personal experiences or experiences they know of where there can be beauty in pain. Um, which is something a lot of our students really wrestle with. I'm really interested to, to hear your, your take on the what seems to be, it's, it's unforced or this seems very natural for you to um, sort of toggle between or have them intersect with faith, mm-hmm. like the faith implications of those words. And there's also certainly sort of curricular outcomes in in language arts or in, in English. Totally, yeah. um, maybe a little bit of chicken and egg, but but how, how did you hop on that? How did you hop on that uh, merry-go-round or, or just navigating? Because again, it, it, it feels very natural in the way you're describing yeah. it, that, that that's happening quite naturally in your class. Um, was that premeditated or it's just happening? Um, I think for me, the way that I come up with a unit, I guess, is less based on, and maybe this is the wrong way of doing it. I don't know. Again, newbie, someone else more academic can tell me You're it's wrong. You're just naive. It's beautiful. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, blissfully ignorant, <laughs> though. Um, and I think for me, it comes with the question, what are the questions my students are asking? Um, and how can the texts that we are reading in English actually speak to that? Or if the texts don't speak to that, okay, we got to find new ones. And so that's kind of the first question for me, which I think is probably a different way than a lot of English teachers look at it. Um, it's questions of students first and then the text, because um, there's millions of texts out there that I can find. But if they're not asking the question, it's kind of useless. Um, and then I think it's also always coming back to what are the core things that we want our students to know. And to be honest, like, I love that they learn to write essays better. I love that they learn how to use tone through writing poetry, but I really care that when they leave that class, they have a helpful or a more deepened perspective on life. And so it's kind of going through that lens that I develop things. So it's always question or idea first, then the English stuff after, if that answers your question. Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think um, that's, that's what I, I sensed when it, it, it felt natural. Yeah. And and unforced, because I think a lot of, a lot of times we, we feel a need to perhaps shoehorn in faith or how am I going to do this? Um, it's unavoidable for you. It's inevitable and it's, it's bubbling up. So Yeah, I mean, like, I guess we all think back to our high school years and there are things that we wish we knew and we didn't. And so maybe it's just me reflecting on high school experiences and, and remembering things that I encounters and struggles I went through and going, you know what? It would be really nice for someone to say it life can suck, but there's actually good stuff. Look for that. So I think that's actually where it all comes down to. I don't know if we mentioned it, but you are a alum yes. of faith, uh, Christian education. Yes. So I think that that is a, a very powerful, um, 
thing to have in your uh, teaching arsenal. It's totally. it's as if that you speak the language and can f- think back upon uh, previous conversations that you had had as a yeah. student, and then having that uh, implement your practice or, or impact your practice is is very important and. Uh, yeah, inspirational. I, I would hope. My question is around surrounding your your discussions of skepticism and cynicism and naivety. Would you um, do you think that like to me coming from a middle school perspective? I just and I'm not saying that you're supposed to teach this stuff to yeah. younger students, but I really don't. I, I'm curious. Would you think that you would not be able to teach a lesson like this had there not been? Um, a potentially maybe naive upbringing, or um, uh, I would use the word constructionist, where where people are constructing their mm-hmm. ideas of what it is that they know, and then here in the high school or with whatever age, sixteen year old students, you're able to then deconstruct. Uh, yeah. Would you agree with that? I'm just curious on your thoughts. That's an amazing question. I think I think you need a season of naivety, and I think that's actually one of the things we discuss. Like we look at Shel Silverstein poems, which are probably as naive sounding as you can get. You read it when you're in grade six, and you're like, "Ha ha, that's amazing!" Okay, next one. And so there's a certain humor and lightness, and just hope and happiness that I think every kid deserves to have growing up. I actually feel sad for the kids that have to be cynical growing up because typically what causes us to be cynical are negative life experiences. So totally agree. We construct and then we deconstruct them in high school in whatever way that means. And I think or I think we're fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> So we often ask um, folks that we interview about things that they're reading, and you're in an English class, and you you actually get to, to curate and, and select a reading list. Uh, mm-hmm. Fascinating what you were mentioning about um, student selection and text. There's there's no shortage of, of text to choose from. Yeah. Uh, and you also um, have a role that's beyond just your own classroom uh, in terms of some of the literacy initiatives in, in our high school. So I'll throw, I'll bundle all three of those in and see, see where you want to take it in terms of um, reading, how you, how you select readings for yourself, how you select readings for students, uh, and, and what, are you, what are you involved in in the high school? Awesome questions. I think for me, something that's been personally very interesting is the idea of voice. Um, and that's kind of a multifaceted one that encompasses all of your questions. Um, the power when our voice is heard is probably unparalleled in my opinion. Um, And so having texts in my library and in my teaching kind of portfolio that every student can identify in some way with, whether that being um, with having texts from different people groups, from different nationalities, from different ages, from different genders, all of that, if they can see someone else's voice and relate it to their own, I think that's really powerful. But I think the second part of that is also learning how to write in a voice, because I teach mostly creative writing, and you never want all of your characters to sound just like you, because then that's kind of a 
proud thing to assume that everyone thinks the way that you do. And so pushing kids to really understand that there are different voices out there and how do we make informed creative writing choices that portray others' voices in respectful manners. And so those are kind of two things. And so for myself right now, reading, I can't, I'm awful with titles, which is another English thing that other teachers might be sad with. But (laughs) nonetheless, I'm reading one um, right now that is written from the perspective of an autistic child. And just the way it's written is completely different than any other novel I've read. And so I love that. I love hearing different voices and being challenged by them because I think that's education at the end of the day. Um, So as the literacy person at the school that I teach at, I think the biggest thing that sometimes we're lacking is a diversity in voice because we just someone hasn't had the time to look for other voices or whatever the reason may be. Sometimes we just get really stuck in hearing one voice. And traditionally in the English context, it is a older European male voice. And so kind of just diversifying that, helping our students get different texts in their hands. So that's kind of goal number one. And then probably the second one would be trying to help students understand that if they can understand something, if they can empathize with other writings, and then they can communicate their perspective in an intelligent manner, the world is their oyster. Um, so kind of trying to move the school forward in that, but yeah. And I think that that's really important, all the, the hearing different voices and just, uh, it's just very like, pro-intellectualism, which I think um, sometimes uh, doesn't have its place. Maybe not among um, independent schooling, because sometimes there's a very like uh, high intensity uh, for academia or Mm -hmm. intellectualism, but I would say that uh, using that as an ability for uh, coming to understand faith, that uh, that the the intellectual side uh, is not everything uh, by any means, but I think that sometimes it is, it is downgraded uh, to to whatever to whatever purpose. So I think that actually uh, it thinking in this way, taking in different voices, uh, thinking about our own perspectives and whatnot, actually like not just improves education, but like clearly improves our, our Christian education. Uh, taking our students into a a clearer area where they can now use intellectual tools that they've learned in said English class to process what it is that they're thinking and then process other voices that they're hearing as well. So uh, I really appreciate that. Yeah. And I mean, like in a Christian school, it's kind of surprising to me how few voices we have knowing that God is Mm -hmm. so able to speak to so many different types of people and is also so multifaceted in how he manifests. And so even looking at the Bible, there's through lines, but there are certainly different voices in each book. And so, yeah, just diving into that as well is awesome. I appreciate that you you mentioned even just in the, the limited nature of uh, our reading list at times here. Um, it's almost uh, almost an element of a, a sin of omission than a sin mm-hmm. of commission. Um, that it's that it's unintentional. It's overlooked, um, and I I think there, there's again almost getting to where you talk about um, 
skepticism and cynicism, that that is a very uncynical way to to come at that as a as a problem, as something that uh, to to address it, to to voice it, and uh, to to broaden the voices that our students are encountering that are reading li- like just as an example, a reading list. Uh, but but your own your own posture towards that or your tone towards that itself. Um, yeah, it speaks. It it it, it embodies what what we're what we're talking about mm-hmm. of not being cynical. So so thank you for sharing. No problem. <laughs> I love this. This episode's been so literacy heavy, which I think is great. I don't. We haven't had an episode like this yet, so I really appreciate that. So <laughs> here's another question that's maybe just more personal to you, yeah, but what are you it. reading, uh, either for pleasure or for professional development, whatever? What book is in your hand at the moment? I love and hate this question because <laughs> I find that much of my time is spent reading poems or short stories or whatever I'm trying to find because like any other teacher, you're trying to fight the clock and trying to find what you need for when you need it, which especially when you're not satisfied with just the first story you find can be quite a laborious, intensive process as probably many can relate to. Um But I think right now I've just come out of a season of exploring um, indigenous science fiction, uh, which is quite a unique genre. And so just delving into that and figuring out, especially in a time like now with so much sci-fi that the kids love understanding that there's different ways to write sci-fi and there's different stories um, is fascinating to me. So that's what I've just come out of. Um, right now, like I said, just reading uh, the book from an autistic uh, child's perspective, which has been very challenging in terms of writing style. And then I'm hoping to head into reading a little bit more from Afro-Canadian authors, because that's one area that I think we have sometimes a lot of African-American novelists or short story writers, but less Canadian. So that's kind of where I'm headed. I haven't picked a specific one, so recommendations would be awesome. But yeah, that's kind of my trajectory. I don't know, really. I guess I'm just an average teacher trying to figure it out with everyone else, right? I don't feel like I'm anything special, I think. You like you guys, we're just we're figuring stuff out together and with the best intentions of our students knowing the deeper things in life. So Thank you so much for coming on the show, Alana. It was really, really great to dive into literacy and skepticism and, and everything with you. So thank you for coming. No problem. Thanks so much. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Alana. It was really good to hear her uh, comments on literacy and skepticism and, and cynicism and the faith and learning that's going on in her English classes. I thought that it was really cool to hear about Well, just that she said that students walk into her room and they don't know what class it is that they're in. I think that that's beautiful integration. Um, uh, that's taking place. So that's that's awesome. Uh, this week in the book club, Grand Paradox by Ken Weitzma. We've been going through this book because it's the the book that we uh, that was given to the graduates of the school that we work at, uh, and it's a really interesting book about the paradox of faith. And this week, uh, the name of the chapter is A World Made Right. I think this was my favorite chapter so far. 
And I think that it speaks to um, a very important theological truth that is not uh, spoken about enough in our Christian education circles, at least the ones that I'm a part of. Maybe maybe if they're going on in your circles, you could come tell me, but I, I really love this because it's all about what God is up to. That's the big question. He says, what is God up to? What is God's grand scheme, his master plan? What did Jesus mean when he taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We're starting to get into some kingdom theology here, which is uh, beautiful, talking about our created world and how God is at work through that and and what is supposed to happen. And, and for so many, I think, uh, well, at least when I was growing up in Christian education, so much of the answer that I would have had in my head that what is God up to? Well, I thought it would be evacuation, sending us all off to heaven when we die. But um, that is really not uh, what kingdom theology is about. So I appreciate the take that um, Ken Weitzma is taking here in this chapter. He takes a while to break down um, two things that have to do, or I guess one thing about two words that have to do with justice and righteousness. He calls them synonyms. And in English, we wouldn't necessarily consider them synonyms, but in Greek, the word dikaiosune is actually the term for justice and can also be used for righteousness. So, he breaks down how we talk about the righteousness of Christ and and justice in our world and how those things can be synonymous, uh, which is which is very important to recognize that um, when we say that God is at work, um, it really does center itself around a lot of justice, and that is that is what the kingdom is is built on. It's predicated on the poor being blessed, uh, the weak being made strong. So, the. Uh, the chapter is going in a great direction. So, uh, this next section said, "Well, I was just about to say, so what is God up to?" That's the name of the next section. Section. What? What's it? What? What is God up to? And it says that Jesus's mission in his life, as well as his death and resurrection, was to bring about a world made new, a world made right. And I try and make that clear to my grade six students when we start looking at, uh, we look at uh, Mark's gospel first thing, because it's so clear, so quick, like every six verses, something is being made new, whether it is the storm being calmed, or someone being healed, or a demon being cast out, that everything is made made good, and everything that's being made right. I think uh, N.T. Wright says that all that is wrong with the world is being made right through Jesus and his kingdom. So, uh, further on, uh, the author says, we cannot run after some sort of personal theology that is divorced from a robust and accurate kingdom theology. That goes back to what I was talking about, evacuation, getting sent out and sent to heaven is just individualistic uh, theology that maybe isn't even quite accurate when we read the gospels with a kingdom focus, but uh, our kingdom focus is, is really about um, seeing the justice that we see through the picture that Jesus paints about the poor being uh, the, the, the poor being blessed and the weak being made strong um, is, uh, is really important. And that is something that is corporate. It's corporate within the kingdom. It's not just individual. Further on, we have another great quotation that says that when we study justice, we learn about God. And when we study God, we learn about justice. Since justice is rooted in the character of God and flows from the heart of God, they are inseparable. So you could say that justice is about the world being made right again. At the end of this chapter come some of the most bold statements that have been taking place in the entire book. 
um, an example that's given actually has to do with immigration and immigration reform, which I wrote in the margin, just bold, B-O-L-D, because it's such a touchy subject at the time. But talking about, um, I'll, I'll just I'll use his words because it's sometimes better than my paraphrase. But that in the United States and even in the church in America, there has been persistent opposition to any legal reforms that would facilitate the process by which currently undocumented immigrants could attain legal citizenship or legal status. And that's bold to to talk about that as as a justice issue, as some people see it, just as a um, a legal issue, and it shouldn't be touched and whatnot. But uh, uh, he says that inconvenience uh, should not be uh, a problem, that if we're worried about being inconvenienced by justice, that inconvenience is no justification at all for not acting justly. I put two stars beside that one. I think it's beautiful. And to sum things up, I think he's. We, this is really great. At the end of each chapter, he's starting to put everything together that he's been talking about and that... Um, uh, when inconvenience or not, that we trust that God really does watch over and sustain the just, the people that are in his kingdom, that are set apart um, by God, and that he will look after us. Um, so we go come back to um, the leap of faith and replacing the word faith with trust, uh, as we had in previous um previous chapters, and then knowing through prayer that God is um, making things new again through his justice, and we play a part in that, even if it inconveniences us, he's with us through it. So, um, I, I think that's that's beautiful. And then I will finish with his final, reading his final paragraph, and then I will ask my question. So, it says this, Jesus is out to set our world right. Because our world is not right, we are faced with the tension of the way things are, in brackets, truth, and the way things ought to be, in brackets, justice. The Christian discipleship, therefore, joining Jesus's justice project, sorry, let me say that again, in Christian discipleship, therefore, joining Jesus's justice project means stepping out in faith and relishing the paradox, finding our lives as if we're giving them away. So to wrap things up, I would have a question that has to do with personal desires and ambitions because he talks about how the American dream, uh, lifelong pursuit of happiness, whatever it is, I'm Canadian, uh, but the American dream doesn't always, um, and maybe doesn't always, maybe it almost never coincides with um, acting justly and that uh, that can inconvenience us. But my question would be that um, do personal desires or ambitions play a role at all? in God's kingdom um, because we so much of what we do and so much of our work is fueled by that. Um, but is that not uh, a part of the justice that's supposed to be taking place? Could it be? Um, but yeah, that would be my question as we seek to follow Jesus and we seek to um, be a part of what God is up to. Uh, do our personal desires and ambitions, uh, do they come into play? How does that come into play? So yeah, that's it for this week. Um, I think that's all the chapters that I'm going to be going through because Dave is going to be taking over from uh, after this. He'll be starting with chapter six, which is virtue, the Greeks, and the meaning of happiness. I'm thoroughly enjoying this book. I hope that you maybe gotten a copy of it. We're not getting paid at all to go through this, but uh, that we're endorsing this book. Um, it just happened to be the book that we gave to the grads and we had never read it. And now we're going through it and uh, thoroughly enjoying it. So uh, thankful for that and thankful for you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, 
be sure to uh, rate the episode on whatever app you listen to, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever that is. Uh, We really appreciate that. We're still really an up-and-coming podcast, and that's a great way to spread the news. Uh, You could also tell a friend, a colleague, or whatnot that that you're listening to this podcast and that you're enjoying it. Maybe you could discuss the grand paradox together or whatever it is that intrigues you. And finally, if you want more information, the best place to do that is our website, notmanyofyou.com, and our Twitter, which is at not many of you you can actually get in touch with us through that uh and that is um yeah we'd love to hear from you so thanks again for listening uh, it's been great uh reading grand paradox with y'all and uh doing these interviews have a good one bye